This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome to our post-Super Bowl or post-election Saturday edition of the Talk of Fame Network. The three of us are back from Atlanta, where we chose the class of 2019, watched the silence of the Rams. That wasn't real good. Where Rick Gosselin was honored at Monday's MVP press conference. True story. Now, let me explain. Gooseman didn't exactly win the MVP. That, of course, went to Julian Edelman. But more on that later. Goose, you were, however, mentioned by none other than the Patriots' Bill Belichick as the guy who found Julian Edelman. And congratulations, because you've now been hired to find us our MVP. To do that, guys, I'll have to move to the belly of football greatness, East Lansing, Michigan. You guys going to cover my moving expenses? Uh, emphasis on the word belly. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, because Ron didn't see that on TV. He didn't see that dimension because, Ron, yeah, you were sleeping. I know. You were sleeping. Yeah, right, like a baby. That's why I love replays. I didn't miss a thing. I just heard about it eight hours later. That's great. <laughs> well, Ron, this just in. A lot of other people did see it as goose's twitter account attests it started to explode and we'll talk more on that later in the show and as well we're going to catch up with the newest member of the pro football hall of fame that'd be quarterback ty law you heard about him ron ty law? i've heard about him read about yeah. him heard about him we're going to also hear from the newest member of the college hall that'll be linebacker cornelius bennett and hear from the pro football's hall pro football hall of fame's joe Oregon, who's retiring as its executive director after 42 years there, which, frankly, is a big loss for all of us and anybody connected to Canton. And speaking of Canton, we're going to dissect this year's class, which, as I mentioned, includes Ty Law. Ron presented him and helped to get him elected. Goose presented senior candidate Johnny Robinson and helped to get him elected. And I presented four pieces of dark meat at Gus's Fried Chicken in downtown Atlanta and helped to get them digested. Yeah, that's right. You guys know. All in all, guys, pretty productive week, don't you think? Yeah, all I know is on Monday afternoon, we were leaving Gus for the final time. Gus himself handed you a trophy as their most valuable eater of Super Bowl weekend. <laughs> exactly right there. They put his picture up on the wall right next to Spike Lee. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we're gonna, we've got a lot to get to first. I'm going to, uh, you know what I'm going to do, guys? I, I've got to finish up that last piece of chicken I brought home from Gus's. So we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. As I mentioned earlier, it was a good weekend for us, but not so good for TV ratings, apparently. I see where the audience for Super Bowl 53 was the lowest in 10 years, down about 5% looks like from last year, and the worst since 2009. So I'll ask you guys straight up, uh, what do you attribute that to? Patriot fatigue, uh, Rams fans at Zuma Beach, what, Ron? Uh, well, I think there's a general uh, dwindling of interest in the game, minor perhaps, but dwindling. Uh, you know, it was 98 million people still, So, but it was yeah, the lowest right. rating, I think, actually since 2007, which I, was, I found is kind of odd but because uh, that was the Patriots' undefeated team. But uh, I think the combination of uh, the defenseless pinball game they play now, all the officiating gaffes in the championship games and general overexposure uh, I think is, is leading some people. And then you had the New Orleans boycott and you had the people yep. in L.A. going to the beach. So 
Well, go. I was going to ask you, Ron, about that New Orleans boycott because of the top 56 markets. New yeah. Orleans was by far, I mean far, the lowest. Nobody was watching. So, Ron, you've been to New Orleans many times, maybe too many yes. times. Uh, several what times. Were they, <laughs> what were they doing? Uh, my guess is having some hurricanes, uh, <laughs> battle Brian's, listening to some blues, you know, <laughs> having a po' boy. I mean, it was all good. That's the beauty of New Orleans. You can have a good time even when it's a bad time. Maybe having some of that barbecue shrimp down at Manali's. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Get back well, no sooner was Super Bowl 453 over than I hear radio talk. And maybe TV talk. Uh, a lot of shows asking if it was the most boring, yes, boring Super Bowl ever, to which I answer, what? Huh? Goose, I know you and I addressed this before you left Atlanta because we, we spoke about this at lunch I, at Gus's. <laughs> but I also know you and I and Ron, too, I think. We, we like defense. We do. And there was plenty of it in that game on both sides. So do you want to go Trey Wingo and all those unhappy campers and tell them what you thought when you saw that graphic, you know, about most boring? Yeah, well into the fourth quarter, we were still wondering if the Rams were going to score the game-tying touchdown. So for the better part of 53 minutes, there was drama in that game. You know, we've all been to Super Bowls when the game's over by halftime, when we are done crafting our stories by the final gun. Those were bad Super Bowls, not the one we witnessed Sunday night. You know, what you were watching was great defense. I talked to one veteran defense quarter this week, and he said he thought that defensive game plans on both sides was masterful. Defensive coaches, outcoached offensive coaches, nothing wrong with that. You can still win a title with defense, as the Patriots proved. Do you, do you say crafting stories? I, I can't remember the last time I crafted one. I just throw Bob them together. Kraft. Throw them. Bob yeah, Kraft. Just... Bob Kraft. <laughs> there you exactly. go. Uh, well, you know, you, it's funny you mention that, Goose, because I think you're right about that. Um, you know, I think today all, all people want, Ron, is, is sort of entertainment. At least the TV wants entertainment. 54-51, we want that like you talk about a pinball game. This was a pretty good game from that defensive standpoint. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of offense, and so, yeah, maybe they lulled people to sleep, but as Trey Winkle said, then turn the TV off, you know? I don't know what exactly they want, Ron. Well, no, you're right. Look, first off, like you say, if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. You got a clicker. You don't even have to get off your fat ass like you used to when I was a boy, you know? So you just move on to something else if you don't want to watch it. Number two, I think, uh, the going to sound sort of unkind here, but that's me, uh, I think for a lot of people, what was going on Sunday would well over their heads. You know, if, if there's not just touchdown bombs all over the place and guys running around wide open, they don't understand, you, you know, the intricacies of the game, uh, like Goose yeah. pointed out. I mean, those were yeah. two really good defensive game plans. Uh, they did a great job. Uh, the Patriots made Jared Goff uh, uh, pee down his leg, which is never good if you're a quarterback. Right. Or anybody else for that matter, now that I think about it. Um, you know, uh, and I, but I just think it, it's they're so used to you know, 35 points on one side and, and 28 or more on the other side, that when they got anything less, they didn't know what to do, what to make of it. You know, I think fans, a lot of these fans now want footballs in the air, points on the board, and excitement in the building. But excitement doesn't win championships. If so, why haven't the 11 highest scoring teams in NFL history won any titles? You need an ability to play offense plus the ability to play defense. That's something Belichick figured out about 30 years ago, which is why he now has eight Super Bowl rings. See, I think, but I think defense is exciting too if you understand it. If you understand it, if you don't, then you look. I mean, that to me is 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 part of the problem. What did you hear about? Uh, you know how bad the offenses were. Well, why do you think they were bad? Because the defenses were good. Right. Uh, you know, they weren't yeah, just right. out there, you know, suddenly they forgot how to complete a pass. They weren't allowed to complete passes, which was great. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, one thing I think people don't want, 
is another performance by Maroon 5 at halftime. <laughs> I mean, listen, we couldn't hear it in the press box. Maybe that was good. I don't know. That was know. good. But, yeah, it was pretty much, it sounded like it was pretty much shredded on Twitter. They were. Of course, you don't have to have a pulse if you're not shredded there. It seems like everybody's ripping on Twitter. Goose, you've got all those new followers on Twitter. Now you have over 300 new followers, I think. You get more hate tweets now? Hate. I'm now more yeah, popular hey, in Boston he ate me. than Ron. I'm popular, more popular in Boston than Ron Borges. Yeah, but that ain't too that tough. Wouldn't, that wouldn't be too tough as right. Be a party of one. So um, are the Tories. <laughs> hey, Ron, if I put yeah. you in charge of the halftime show for Super Bowl 54, next year's Super Bowl, yeah. who would you hire? Who would you hire? Well, you know me, man. Blues with a feeling, baby. Bonnie Raitt, Robert Cray, Brantab, Boynette, Susan Tedeschi, it'd be a half dozen more of the greatest blues singers in the world. We'd have blues with a feeling, and we would dedicate to our great and good friend, Roger Goodell, who knows what blues (laughs) with a feeling is all about. Tedeschi Trucks, good band. How about you, Goose? I would give the halftime to Gladys Knight and the Pips. (laughs) Pips certainly deserve more than the national anthem. (laughs) we got to find the Pips first. Um, Hey, by the way, I want to go back to that subject of defense because it's going to tie into our conversation on Julian Edelman. But I mentioned earlier how good it was on on both sides of the ball. It really was, as you guys said. But it was better on one side, and that would be New England's side, or maybe Jared Goff was worse. I don't know. But um, nevertheless, the Patriots made – they did make the plays that mattered, and and the Rams didn't. So why wasn't someone on the Pats' defense – I don't know, Hightower, Gilmore, I don't know, um, the game MVP – because their offense didn't exactly light it up. I mean, I know Edelman had a zillion catches, but the Patriots scored one touchdown, one, and it wasn't Julian Edelman who scored it. Yeah, it's because the Patriots won their first Super Bowl in 2002. A defensive player should have been MVP. The Patriots stoned the greatest show on turf, but Tom Brady got it for his 140 yards passing. Fans won offense, and apparently so did the MVP voters. In 53 Super Bowls, there have been nine defensive players named MVP. You need three sacks, a pair of interceptions, or a defensive score to get into the discussion, and there was none of that Sunday night. Correct me if I'm wrong, Gooseman, because I may be. That would be a rare occurrence, but I may be. I believe when my my pal Rod Martin had three picks, he was not the MVP, was he? Or was he? No. Yeah, three picks. The guy had three no. picks in the Super Bowl. Waving to the crowd, waving to me. Hey, as my pal Ronnie. No MVP. Uh, you know, too many of the voters are like they're fans. They're more like fans than they are anything else. Uh, if it's not about scoring, they don't know what to do. Uh, the MVP of that game, uh, if you don't want to give it to whoever designed the the defensive game plan, was Hightower. Yeah. I mean, he was blowing up every other play that they that they tried to run. I mean, he had Goff soiling himself. I mean, you know, it was just uh, – he was Jim Everett on steroids, by the way, guys. Um, but, you know, that would require a thing. They gave it to a guy. Julian Edelman caught three passes in the second half and didn't score in a one-score right. game. Uh, you know, the incredible thing is I saw a note today there. The Hall of Fame vote, not a single defensive player received the vote. <laughs> How about that? Well, yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I want to talk about Edelman <laughs> since you mentioned it. I mean, we got to move on to him because I mean, he's a nice little receiver. He's versatile. He's tough, all that. He makes a lot of catches. Um he was the game MVP, but the most startling thing about this guy has nothing to do with what he did you know, necessarily in that game, but it has to do with all these media people calling for him to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I, I addressed that in a piece we ran on our site. That would be talkoffamenetwork.com on Monday, and I'll address it with you guys now because I think it's, honestly, I think it's, frankly, ludicrous. And no, Ron, I'm not talking about the, the rapper, though he has a better chance. I think it happens to be a friend of mine, Julian by Edelman. the way. Ludicrous. Yeah, well, he's got a better chance of getting in the hall than Julian Edelman. Not as good as Todd Rundgren, however. Um, will someone put the brakes on this Julian Edelman going to Canton conversation, please, Ron? 
on Goose, somebody. Well, first off, for for you two guys who I know are, are are far more bothered by outside criticism than myself, who couldn't give a damn. You know, these are the people criticizing us for who we put in the Hall of Fame. They want to put in a midget receiver. Can you say midget anymore? Midget receiver. You just did. Who's 148th in uh, in the history of the game in catches? I mean, it's ridiculous, but. Sign of the times. You know, like Goose always says, what is it? The latest is the greatest. It's the last thing they saw. Hey, Stanley Morgan can't get in. Cliff Branch <laughs> can't get in. Otis Taylor can't get in. Drew Pearson can't get in. I wouldn't hold up much hope for Julian Edelman. Yeah, Goose, doesn't he strike you as Wes Welker for a decade ago? And ain't nobody trying to put Wes Welker in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, same thing. Same guy. Just, yeah. Except not as good. Except not as good as that. That's right. Uh, anyway, I guess we're not going to be voting on Julian Edelman anytime soon. <laughs> But we are, guys. We're going to commercial. You know what? We're going to do it right now. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, speaking of the Hall of Fame, we have Executive Director Joe Corrigan with us. And what a privilege. Joe has been with the Hall the past 42 years, but has decided, you know what? Enough is enough. So... Effective June 1st, he's retiring, which is Canton's loss and his wife's gain. Joe, first of all, congratulations again. Um, you saw the response of selectors last weekend at your last Hall of Fame vote. I mean, we gave you two prolonged standing ovations that seemed to visibly affect you. I'm just wondering what went through your head as the applause went on and on and on. Well, you know, it was uh, – I, I – use the word and it doesn't seem even uh, sufficient anymore. I keep saying it's humbling. But uh, it was to me, and I told people this, this morning again, I said in my professional career, it was the highlight. I mean, it, you know, you guys, and when I say you guys, I mean all of the selectors we all work with and the guys that came before you. and You know, just I have such a great respect uh, for each of you. And as I say, for your profession, I'm, I'm the child of a journalist and I'm a brother of journalists uh and uh, you know I, I particularly in these days and ages i have even a greater pro- profound appreciation uh for what you do so to be recognized by you guys is is to me you know, the highlight joe i know i talked to you last weekend um but i want you if you can to tell our listeners why you chose to leave now and not stay, oh, say, you know, for the 100th anniversary of the NFL or the 100th celebration of the NFL in 2020? Well, after this weekend, I'm not sure. (laughs) 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 Uh, No, you know, it got um, really, I'm just, you know, I I was convinced that, you know, there's a 100th anniversary coming up. I'm going to work through June. I'm up to June, rather. I've agreed to be a part of some of the programming that the Hall of Fame will be doing in celebration of that, of the 100th anniversary. Uh, I'm already working, you know, with the league on the 100th anniversary team and, and things, so that I'm involved, in, and that's not going to end on June 1. I mean, that, I'll continue to do that. Uh, I'm going to continue to look at our centennial celebration of September 17th, 2020, and hopefully, um, you know, have some uh, good news on that and, and the potential of uh, perhaps a centennial team to maybe do a little uh, celebrating of the past century, uh, recognizing some more Hall of Famers, or potential people uh, to become Hall of Famers. So I'm, you know, I'm still going to be involved in this celebration year. Uh, I just 
uh, felt though that to say that I wanted to you know continue on for this project and then you know I got projects after that that I would say I want to continue on I just didn't know where it would end so uh, this June 1 being an anniversary date I thought this would be a good time and let uh, the great staff that's behind me and been with me for many many years uh, kind of go into this next uh, century and, and lead the way. John, in 42 years, there have been lots and lots of folks who have walked through those doors of the hall. Other than the three mm-hmm. of us, do you have a favorite? <laughs> well, let's see. It depends. Uh, is everybody listening? <laughs> I've been we I've hope so. One of you. How's that? Yeah. But, you know, you know, for 42 years, everybody that comes through that door has, has meant something. I, I've learned so much from the people that I've met that have walked through those doors. Uh, you know, it's you know, people keep asking me, what are you going to do? You know, what's your what's your hobby? And I say, well, I've been living my hobby for 42 years. So every day was a different experience. Um, but, you know, I've met so many different people. And, and you know, I, I know you guys know how much I appreciated Dan Rooney. And, you know, people like him that, that made me feel like, you know, what we were doing was good. You know, he was a man of integrity. Uh, those are the types of people that, you know, that I have the privilege of meeting on a regular basis. And, and he's just one, but he was one very dear. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not I'm not into the, you know, celebrity type of thing, but I just, there are some of the most interesting people I probably, you know, come across are those that uh, I didn't know anything about, you know, and then to learn their stories and, and uh, hear what they did in terms of the game and, and, and in ways that I might not even be thinking. Uh, just just remarkable stories out there that uh, you know we all know that you could write volumes and volumes and volumes about, and we all have. But that there's so much more to be said. Joe, in those same 42 years, any regrets? Wow, wow, you know, uh, boy, you know, I, I guess you know, as 42 years, you have a lot of time to make up for things that you had regrets for. You know, you can go back and continue to to change things. Uh, to be impatience is, is you know, probably one of the fortitude you have to learn uh, for all of us in life. That if we're particularly if we're staying with the same uh, you know, path, you know that that you know patience is, is critical because you know you don't get what you want all the time, but you may get it eventually. So you know, I, I don't know that there's anything that I regret. You know, sometimes I feel like I missed opportunities. You know, uh, you know, you know, people pass, and, and you know, you, you you reflect back and you say, "Gee, I wish I'd said." something to this guy or, or, you know, a little more attention over here. But I, I guess, you know, you, you, you can, you know, look at things like that until you, you know, drive yourself crazy. But for a big thing that I regret, no, I, you know, I, I'm happy that, you know, I, I regret almost having, you know, look uh, through those 42 years, there were opportunities that, you know, I had, you know, some offers to, you know, maybe change my path. And I'm, and I'm glad I didn't. I, I think they would have been big regrets. But, Joe, uh, no, I, I really don't have a big regret, right? Joe, no regret about not being able to get Cookie Gilchrist a bust? <laughs> well, those are the things you have to be patient for. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There are, there, well, there are so many guys, and, and I'll tell you, Robert Brazil told me just this past weekend, he says, you know, I'll never forget, I met him literally in an elevator uh, when he was still a candidate, and we had never met before, and this is a few years before he was elected, and he says, I never forgot. You introduced yourself to me in an elevator, and I did. And you told me something that, that helped. He said, uh, you told me it's a question of when, not if, and you have to be patient. He says, I'm glad I was patient. So things like that, I'm glad, I'm glad he listened. <laughs> you never saw Terrell Owens in an elevator? 
<laughs> no, I never did. <laughs> the break for you. There are, there are some guys I'm glad that they, that they didn't see me in the elevator. Uh, one of my favorite boys, Cortez Kennedy, who was one of the nicest men you'll ever meet. You know, I had the un- unenviable task of calling him when he wasn't elected a couple of times, a couple of times in a row. And he's such a nice guy. Well, the day he was elected, you know, we, you know the day after, when we get together uh, following the Super Bowl for an orientation meeting, and I had not yet physically met uh, Cortez. We'd only talked on the phone. So when I walk in the room, he's in the back of the room, and he's walking towards me. I think, oh, my. And he calls me out. He's hurrying. And I stop him. He's yeah, Cortez. And he goes, come here. I'm walking towards him. He goes, I don't know whether to slap you or kiss you. <laughs> says, I hope you don't do either. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, Joe, we ask a lot. You know, we have a lot of Hall of Famers on the show. Uh, blessed to have them. And we always at some point ask them if they had, if we handed them a magic wand that they could put one person in the Hall of Fame, uh, who would it be? Now that you're uh, uh, going to be leaving, um, I ask you the same question. You know, is there one yeah, guy? you know, uh, it's actually, it's funny, I was talking to Bill Pulliam this morning, and, and uh, we were kind of talking about that, and, you know, a guy that comes to mind for me, and, and uh, this is going way back, so, you know, most of the listeners uh, probably won't even know who I'm talking about, but a guy named Duke Slater, uh, yes, I'd like to see him uh, get into the Hall of Fame, and uh, I think his, his plight was not so much uh, his ability on the field, but uh, when he became eligible in 1963. The world was not quite as cosmopolitan as it is today, and he was uh, one of the few black men who played in the 1920s and had the longest and, and uh, by far probably the most uh, um, successful career, six-time uh, all-pro by the various all-pro selection type of uh, committees back in that day, which was unheard of in a 10-year career, and he was a tackle. So, you know, it wasn't that he was this um, uh, running back or or, uh, you know, high-profile player. He was an in-the-trench kind of guy uh, and did it better than anybody else during his era, but did not get elected. And I really do think that it, it had a lot to do with the color of his skin uh, in terms of moving forward and, and, and people's uh, memories and as, as uh, a solid candidate. So hopefully we can correct that uh, injustice. Yep. Wasn't he a finalist twice, and then he disappeared? As I recall, yeah, he, he he was a yeah. And by finalists, they're a little different than our finalists take. They didn't go through the reduction voting as like we do now. So it was more of a you know lists of, of um, candidates as opposed to actually voted down finalists. But yeah, yeah, he did get down uh, into the finalist list, and I believe it was twice. Right. But again, you know, I don't know why he was not just a slam dunk in that charter class or shortly thereafter. There's probably nobody who who knows more about history of the game and the Hall of Fame uh, and the intricacies of uh, people being elected or not elected and, and the consequences uh, when that doesn't happen. So one of the things we've talked about today, the three of us on the show, is uh, we all have a growing fear of this, what we view as first ballot mania that's been going on in recent years. You know, since the year 2000, uh, we've put in uh, – I think it's 40 or 41 first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. Uh, it's nearly half of the, all the Hall of Famers, uh, first ballot Hall of Famers. Are you concerned about that? Uh, yeah, you, you know, it? and it's not so much to me that they're first ballot Hall of Famers, but what concerns me a little bit is that there are so many great candidates coming out because of the number, a great number more teams than that we've looked at in the past generations. Mm-hmm. Just the sheer number of, of 
quality candidates makes it more likely that that's going to happen. That, or that I shouldn't say that they're going to necessarily be elected, but they're going to be uh, good candidates coming out. I'm concerned a little bit that, you know, since really 1963, when uh, the Hall of Fame first started, you know, we weren't even looking at what's now the AFC, but then AFL uh, candidates. So the number of players that were being considered over the years was significantly less on an annual basis even though they were catching up for the years prior to the hall being open. Hey, Joe, we got to go, but thanks so much for the time. And as you always tell us, thanks for your service. You are, as was mentioned Saturday, a treasure. You really are. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate everything you do for the Hall of Fame and for the game and and for your your profession. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you. That was Joe Horgan of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Up next, it's Ty Law, now also the Pro Football Hall of Fame. This is Top Fame this is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Ty Law is a familiar face around the Talk of Fame Network, though he looks a little bit different today. Although he's been on this program several times, he's never shown up in a gold jacket, but he can now after being voted into the 2019 Pro Football Hall of Fame's class Along with Tony Gonzalez, Champ Bailey, Kevin Mawai, Ed Reed, Johnny Robinson, Pat Boland, and Gil Brandt. Ty, welcome back. And as Ron would say, nice threads. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me, man. And, uh, you know, before we get started, I want to say a special thank you to Ron, man. I know I told you, but I want to say it over the air, man. You know, uh, I'm... I mean, deeply appreciative, man, and, you know, for what you've done and, and uh, going out there and fighting for me for these last few years and finally getting us over the hump, man. I just want to thank you again, man. You know, you're, you're welcome, Ty. Like I told you last night, I've known you since you were, you know, barely out of diapers. I mean, you're, you're like, it's almost like another son of mine that went in there. It was great to see, and you, and you earned it, that's for sure. So I'm wondering you, when the knock finally came, uh, who and what did you think of first? Was it your grandfather? Or was it somebody else? It, it was absolutely my grandfather, you know, and, and that was the only kind of thing that didn't make it the most perfect uh, evening uh, in the perfect situation. I mean, it, I mean, it, it was a 99 on the scale of 100, but you know, it's just that one thing was missing was my grandfather being present and my grandmother, you know what I mean? And, you know, but, you know, they were gone for a long time, but I wish they could have been there for the moment. But I know they was with me there in spirit. And, um, you know, everything else was it was incredible, man, because I knew something was a little bit different because it was taking longer. But I know you guys going to deliberation a little longer on certain guys. I didn't necessarily know it was me. But, man, uh, it, it, it was awesome, man. Like I said, it, I, I, I'm never at a loss for words, but I'm kind of at a loss for words right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ty, with all the pre-meeting hype about three first ballot Hall of Famers, including Champ Bailey, who played your same position, how right. concerned were you Saturday morning? I mean, it, it, you try not to get caught up into it, in, in, in as far as being uh, overly concerned, but you can't you can't uh, help but to understand that if they're talking about three guys going first ballot, it's only going to be two slots left. You know what I mean? So I mean. You know, I'm pretty good with numbers. I got a business. I know what numbers are. So, uh, uh, 
you have to think about it, especially when somebody is coming as your direct competition, you know, uh, in Champ Bailey. You know, we played the same position. I've been there a couple times uh, before in the room, you know, and I, and I had to wait. And, you know, and the perception for, for whatever for whatever reason that, you know, he was going to go in first ballot, which he did. So where does that, you know, leave me when you start thinking about, uh, you know, the numbers and, you know, the production and things like that. And, you know, of course, I would never say anything bad about any other player, you know, and especially Champ because we were teammates. I mean, and actually we're friends. We didn't talk, you know, three times since <laughs> since we went in together. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's like we've been we've been tight for a long time. You know what I mean? So, of course, you want to wish him well. But it's like, you know, if he goes in, you know, hopefully they'll look at uh, me as worthy of going in with him since our numbers are so, you know, identical. Well, you know, it's funny, Ty. Your numbers were better, which they were. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, but it was was so, I would say it was so close. I mean, and I didn't know, you know, how they measured the Pro Bowls because, you know, he did have the edge, you know, on that as far as, you know, Pro Bowls, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, he beat everybody, including Deion, Deion Sanders, you know, uh, who most consider, you know, the greatest cornerback that ever played the game. You know what I mean? But he had more Pro Bowls than him as well. So, you know, I'm like, is that the measure stick or is the measure stick championships? Because then you hear people that go to Hall of Fame, did you get a championship? Yeah, I got three of them. You know what I mean? So I got Pro Bowls. I got all pros. I mean, what is the criteria? And that's what I wasn't you know, sure about, especially on this one. And this one probably would have stung a little bit more and been a little bit more disappointed just for the fact that I was going in, uh, I got hopped over from somebody in my position. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Ty, because I'll be honest with you, that was the conversation in the room. And Ron Borges, is who you thanked at the opening of the show. He fought tooth and nail for you on that subject, and he basically said, it's about productivity. If it's not about productivity, I don't know what we're talking about. And I'm going to tell you, we were in that room. I heard what he said. We're not supposed to say exactly what people did say, and we won't. But he fought hard for you. And, and where it looked like the conversation might be tilting, he got it back. And, and I tell you, when, when we heard Bailey's name, I thought the same thing as you. My goodness, you know, he's going to get passed again, and then both of you got in. And i got to tell you, I think it's terrific. I think Ron did a great job, but I think you're, you're so deserving. And I guess what I'd ask you now is, now that it's over, when did it actually hit you what it meant to be a Hall of Famer? You're in now. You, you don't have anything else to prove. You're in. You sure? No take backs, Ron? No take backs. Once you got it, you, got it. you can do anything now, and you can't take it away from me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know what? You know, once I, once I finally got over that hump, you know, like I said, the first thing I thought about was uh, uh, my grandfather. But then, you know, you know, I, you know, you tell yourself, man, you ain't gonna cry. You are gonna be a man about it. Hey, man, let's <laughs> let's let's take it in and absorb it. But everything felt like it just left my body, man. And you know, and I had to just let it go, you know, and, and realize grown men do cry, man. And and I couldn't do anything but that because it was so overwhelming you know, to be able to be considered one of the best that ever played the game, you know, realizing that this is the most exclusive club in all of sports, you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, because, you know, you you, you have to earn that. They, they, you know, you just don't give those out. And, you know, and dreaming about that, and that, Ron, you know, that I've been talking about that since my rookie year because I haven't right. set the bar high. You know, I, I, I've, uh, you know, my Tony Dorsett's uncle, he used to tell me, he's like, hey, man, 
Because I used to look at his Heisman Trophy, and I used to look at his uh, Hall of Fame books. I used to stare at him in high school. And then when I came from college, you know, and I went to the pros, I went down again. I still used to just, I used to just look at him. He was like, he told me, he said, well, I don't know what the hell you're looking at that happened for that. He said, shit, that, that, uh, that shit done passed. <laughs> 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 he said, that shit done passed now. Then, so I did not just stepped over because the way it was, I just stepped over to the Hall of Fame. But he said, well, you got to really be able to raise some hell with that one, man. I said, I don't know. He said, you got to be a hell raiser. So I can't, uh, you know, wait to get out there in Canton, you know, to let him know how much he inspired me and uh, how much I appreciate him. And then look back at him and say, I guess I raised a little bit of hell, huh? <laughs> you going to raise some hell in Canton? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got I got to raise a little bit of hell because uh, I'm telling you, I've been saying this for a long time that, you know, the ultimate goal other than winning championships was to be immortalized and enshrined in the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, you know, my kids' kids, their kids, even when I'm not here, I am here. And they can go up there and see you know, their, their their father, their grandfather, their great grandfather. You know, you you never die. You know, when when you're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I'm so blessed and so honored to be in there and to think about all the guys that played the game. And it's only 326 of us in there. I'm number 323 out of the, all the thousands of thousands of people that played the game. You know, it's it's a blessing. And I can and I can tell you guys, uh, uh, and, and all the listeners, that Ty's not lying about that. You know, his rookie year, he, he told me, you know, he, he was about the Hall of Fame, and uh, and I remember going back to Parcells, and this boy's out of his mind. This kid is out of his mind. First off, you got to lose 15 pounds. That's the first thing you got to do. Parcells agreed with me on that, by the way, Ty. Uh, <laughs> at that time, you when, said, when, when you were a rookie and you told me your goal was you going to be in the Hall of Fame, I, went, I was talking to Parcells, and I said, this boy's out of his mind. He's talking about being in the Hall of Fame. He's got to lose 10 pounds first. And Parcells just said, you're yeah. exactly right. He's got to lose 15. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> tell yes. tell yes. people if you he could. To, he used to call me chubby. He, used to call he me did. Chubby. He, he called you chubby. Like, like I got the month. month. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, tell the people if you could a little bit because we've mentioned him a couple of times. Your your grandfather and how important he was uh, to you. Uh, and I know at one point in time, uh, one of the main reasons you came out of Michigan was because of uh, what you found in your in your grandfather's house, as I recall. Uh, that piece of paper that uh, if you could just sort of tell yeah. what your grandfather meant, you know. I mean, he meant, I mean, he meant so much for me, man, because, uh, you know, he, he he was my everything. He was my father, you know. I mean, you know, me and my father, my biological father, we have a great relationship. Now he was down there, you know, for the knock. But, you know, the the reality was that he wasn't always there. He wasn't there at the time in, in, in my younger life because he was dealing with his own, you know, uh, you know problems. So my grandfather you know, taught me everything that I know. You know, I, I had addiction in my family, you know, for my mother and my father. You know what I mean? So, you know, he was that, he was the the man and the person that kept me on the straight and narrow. My grandmother passed when I was 13 years old. She was a, you know, the disciplinarian and everything too. And, you know, I was uh, raised by them. You know, even though, you know, my mom was there, she lived nearby, and then eventually moved back with us, I was raised, uh, you know, uh, by my my grandfather, he went. He took me to every practice, signed me up. Uh, he was at every game. He never missed a game. You know, it, it, whether it was football, basketball, baseball, whatever I played, he never he he didn't miss one game. You know what wow. I mean? So, you know, again, how he communicated with people, but he even took a loan out on the house to get me a car when I was in college. And at the time, 
you know, he was he was retired on a fixed income. And then when I seen, you know, I came home one time and, and he would never let me, you know, know that. But I seen a, you know, a foreclosure letter, you know, as far as uh, the house was concerned. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, I was like, you know what? I got to do something about that. You know, I mean, I, I felt a responsibility because he did that for me. You know, he never let, let me know that, you know, we were in that type of financial bind and things like that. So, you know, as far as being a man, being responsible, raised, uh, you know, four daughters, worked in a steel mill, you know, for 30 plus years, you know, and, you know, he, he, he was just, he was just a patriarch for everything, you know, in our family. And, you know, he was definitely everything for me because if it wasn't for him, I know what I would have been doing. I would have been out there doing something that I shouldn't have been doing, which was, you know, fighting, robbing, stealing, selling drugs. I would have been doing, I know I would have been doing all that because that was the influence, you know, mm-hmm. where I come from. Sure, sure. Ty, there's a, there's a 60-40 split in the hall with more offensive players than defensive. So how special was it to go into the hall with a, with a record-setting class of four defensive backs? Oh, it, it, you know, we, we, we talk about that amongst the group. And, you know, we feel good that we were the first to put four defensive backs in, even if that's done again uh, at some point, which we don't know because it's, it's, it's unprecedented. But we say we'll put our secondary up against any uh, Hall of Fame class, any Hall of Fame receivers, running backs, defensive backs, you know, <laughs> period. You know, we, we like, bring it on. We have an old-timers game. Damn it, we gonna we gonna shut it down, <laughs> you know? Because you know, you think about it from an interception standpoint, we got over two hundred combined, two hundred and twenty, you know, interceptions, you know, between between the four of us. So you know, that's a hell of a class right there, you know. And we got two safeties and two corners, you know. So how great is that? You know what I mean? And uh, imagine if we were all in our prime uh, playing together, you know, we uh, we we wouldn't lose the game. <laughs> At least not through the air. At least not through the air anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ty, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Ty. You got it. That was class of 2019 Hall of Famer, Ty Law. Up next, it's the Two Minute Drill. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, John Perry's in the studio today. So, John, one last time to blow your own horn. That's the two-minute warning. Boy, your whistle. Thanks, John. That means it's time for the two-minute drill. Rick, let's go. Gladys Knight sang the National Anthem at the Super Bowl. Where were the pips? Uh, with the Rams, Jared Goff. Oh, oh, wait a minute. That was the yips. Ha! Hey, very good. Taking a knee with Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> Julian Edelman was selected the MVP of the Super Bowl, won by the New England defense. Who should have been the MVP? Goose Goslin for finding him. <laughs> Donta Hightower. He kept putting the lights out on the Rams' offense. Have we seen the last of Gronk on a football field? Yeah, I think we have. He's going to MC Dancing with the Stars along with Cardi B and Bob Kraft. <laughs> I mean, it depends on whether or not he gets paid. If he doesn't, he might walk, but I doubt it. I saw him shirtless on a, on a duck boat on Tuesday catching beers with one hand. How can you give that up? <laughs> Tom Brady says the goat moniker makes him cringe. Should it? Yeah, it should, because another Meek Mill necklace might come attached with it. <laughs> 
it does, why was this kid holding a sign up on that same duck boat that said, Goat is greater than ram? <laughs> like that. The Rams insist Todd Gurley is healthy. If so, has he hit the mythical running back wall at 24 years of age? No. The Rams flunked the mythical lie detector test. <laughs> Well, if he was healthy, someone hit Sean McVay with a wall in the head. Yeah. Will Jared Goff become the next Jim Ever for the Rams or the next Kurt Warner? More like the next Dieter Brock. <laughs> uh, someone once said he looked like Chris Everett, except Chris Everett was a winner, and he was not. Who plays in the 2020 Super Bowl? Patriots versus Team Ruff. Exactly. The Patriots and whoever want to get a beating. Alice Lambo or Belichick? Tom Brady. Belichick's got the better ring collection and the clearer mind. He's the only one who didn't play football without a helmet. Who is the best coach eligible but not enshrined in the Hall of Fame? Clark Shaughnessy. We agree on something, Clark. He invented the T formation. He invented the defense to stop the T formation. In 1949, when he was the head coach for the Rams, what did he do? Took him to the championship game, got himself fired. That's hard to do. That's the end of the next. This is the two-minute drill, not the two-hour drill. That's the end of our first hour coming up. It's more on the hall, so don't go anywhere. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to our number two of the Talk of Fame Network. We're all back from Atlanta now, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ron, but you returned in time to ride in one of those duck boats in the Patriots Super Bowl parade on Tuesday. I so, did. how was it? Didn't you see me on ESPN? Me and Gronk shirtless and yeah, catching was cans it? Yeah, of I beer did. with one hand, throw one of those Brandon Cooks and his cans all over the street. Yeah, I wanted a man's ear for you. Put the shirt back on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one one question, Ron. Did yeah. Meek Mill give you one of those zircon encrusted chains to wear around your neck? <laughs> he did not, but he just told me, stay woke, as I always do. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I had one of those. I could use it as a bite chain. Hey, Goose, <laughs> um, the, the Red Sox beat the Dodgers in the World Series. Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. You can get an idea where this is going? Who do you like if the Celtics play the Lakers for the NBA championship? Well, if the Celtics play the Lakers, I definitely like the Celtics because I'm not even sure the Lakers are good enough to make the playoffs. Oh, Celtics ouch, are ouch, an ouch. elite team in the East. Lakers are anything but in the West. Okay, let's get back to football. Serious question here, Goose. I know Tom Brady has said there's, quote, zero, unquote, chance of his retiring. But at 42, which is going to be this season... Why not? I mean, he just won another Super Bowl. Gronk probably retires. And Brady's not going to get better. He's going to get older. And you know what happens when someone hangs around too long at the party? <laughs> you know, Goose. Willie Mays of the match. He's nice for the Chargers. Ron pointed out Ali in the ring. What advice would you give Tom Brady today? I would tell him to listen to his biggest fan, Clark Judge, and retire. Yeah. The only athlete to beat Father Time was Gordie Howe. It never oh. ends well for athletes in their 40s. What would you tell him, Ron? Well, I would tell him, as my man Meek Mill told me, and now I'm telling the goat, the odds against you when they double stacked. Stay woke. 
<laughs> Meaning, get out, you fool. Get out. <laughs> you, you know what I tell him? I, I tell him to do what Ron told me years ago. Listen to your wife. Always a good idea. Yeah, and his wife has told him, uh, get out, get out now. But I know it sounds like she's sort of giving in, like, whatever he wants to do, he's going to do. But, Ron, you're right. Listen to your wife, all right? That's right. Stay woke. Stay woke. Okay. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm listening to my wife. In fact, I just heard from her, so i got to take this phone call, guys. We'll be back after this. This is Talk Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Okay, early in the show, uh, we mentioned that New England coach Bill Belichick thanked our Rick Goslin in the Monday morning news conference following Super Bowl 53, which, of course, he did. He basically said the goose man is the guy who helped him find Super Bowl MVP Julian Edelman. In fact, Robert, Robert Harris... If you have that audio, can you play it? Your scouting of Julian Edelman, what was it about his character and his skill set that said to you, this guy can help us long-term as, as a football player? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I've got to give uh, Rick Oslin credit on that one for getting us started. Um, I talked to Rick, as we know, Rick followed the draft very closely, and uh, at one point, you know, he said to me, um, you know, one team I want to take a look at is this uh, quarterback of the Kent State. I don't think he can play quarterback, but, you know, pretty, he's a pretty good player. So, kind of got going on him a little bit, and um, uh, like, okay, what, what are we going to do with, you know, what, what will we do with Julian? Is he a receiver? Is he a punt re- Just a hunch, Goose, man, but guessing you never get tired of hearing that. Yeah, it certainly surprised me. You know, during the 20 years I worked the draft for the Dallas Morning News, I talked to close to 200 NFL types from all 32 teams in building my draft boards. Coaches, GMs, personnel directors, scouts, assistant coaches, blah, blah, blah. But I never outed anyone. No one ever knew who I was talking to, and I never named names. Well, Belichick has outed himself. We shared information. I may have helped him, but he certainly helped me. Gooseman, what gets more play in that uh, geese household now? That or the temps? My wife has a greater affection for Motown than she does football. She controls the sound in the house, so I hear a lot more of Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson, and David Ruffin than I do Bill Belichick. Wow. Wow. Like we said in that earlier segment, Ron, listen to your wife. Absolutely. Um, All right. Let's go back to basics here. Would you please explain to our listeners, Goose, and those people who didn't view our Two Men in Hats video on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com. Uh, that would be two men in hats and one with a stopwatch. Um, what Bill Belichick was talking about, basically how that conversation started and then evolved. Well, I talked with Belichick a couple times before the 2009 draft. I had received the times from the players at Kent State's Pro Day. And Edelman was a quarterback there. He wasn't invited to the combine, but he ran a very fast time in the 4-4s. Well, I happened to talk to Belichick that night and told him the kid's speed and athleticism. You know, he appreciated a heads up, said he's going to get on that kid that night. And I, I wasn't surprised. Bel- Belichick is as thorough in his draft presentation as any coach I've ever come across. You know, and I think what made Edelman such a unique find is that there was no head coach in the NFL who placed a greater premium on special teams than Belichick. 
And with the Patriots work Badelman out, they were trying to figure out what he could do to help him on special teams. Most coaches would have discarded him as an offensive player, but Belichick saw value as a special teamer. And the rest, they say, is history. Ronnie, you were covering the Patriots then. Yes. What were you telling Belichick at that time? Call Goose. I could have seen Call Goose. <laughs> the hell do I know? Call Goose. No. Uh, <laughs> okay, smart. That was a smart advice. Well, hey, well, Ron, what did you think when they made this guy the seventh-round pick? I mean, some scrawny quarterback from Kent State that you and, and apparently Bill Belichick had never heard of. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I didn't think uh, much about it at all. You know, you know, obviously, Goose is my pal. And once they got him, I said, you know, because well, you know, he knows about everybody. So we know about this guy. And he said he was fast. And I said, well, he's great. I've seen hundreds of guys come through here that are fast, so we'll see. Uh, but, you know, they make those kind of off-the-wall selections late in the draft almost every year. Uh, and, but once he got here, you could see he wasn't just fast, but he was unusually quick and agile. You know, a lot of guys are fast. You know, my, my the guy I suggested uh, to Coach Belichick, Chad Jackson, took in the second round, by the way. Uh, very fast. Unfortunately, uh, that was about it. <laughs> fast, but not a football player. Uh, you know, then he made a few plays, and then you started saying, well, man, maybe he can at least carry Wes Walker's equipment bag around, uh, which he did for about three years. Everybody forgets, one like he came here became an instant you know, star. Right. He was doing nothing for uh, uh, several years, but he was learning from Welker. And his agility, as you can see uh, today, uh, to me, that's the thing that really has uh, allowed him to do the things he's done. I mean, he has to be fast, but a lot of guys are fast. But he's, he's fast, and he's quick, and he's... He can go right to left and sideways, and Gooseman saw that, so that was good. Goose, what's intriguing about this story to me is it's not often you hear any coach, I mean any coach, thank a reporter for helping him find a player, and it's less often, as Ron can attest, that you hear Bill Belichick thanking a reporter, period, any reporter. So how did you develop such a good relationship with a guy who, frankly, is known as uh, cranky and a curmudgeon? You know, when I became the NFL columnist for the morning news in 92, I traveled throughout the league, and I got to know Belichick and his staff when he was head coach of the Browns. You know, he knew of my reputation with special teams and the rankings that I did, and there's no head coach in football who plays the greater premium on the kicking game. So he'd been getting my special teams rankings for the better part of three decades now, and the draft calls became a natural follow-up for me. You know, I talked to all 32 teams during my draft prep, soliciting opinion on players, and those opinions helped me build my draft board my mock drafts you know my philosophy was always if, if you share with me i'll share with you you know no one ever knew specifically who i was talking to and i never told anyone so they knew but they knew the sources were good because the information was solid so i was given a lot and gave a lot back in return and usually the names of players at the back end of the drafts the players who might otherwise slip to slip to the cracks those are the ones that i, I kind of freely gave out to people and edelman would have been a slip to the cracks guy and Belichick is a detailed guy, and he's not a guy who lets players slip through the cracks. Speaking of Sharon Goose, did you get a finder's fee? <laughs> All I did was give Belichick a name he didn't have. The, the Patriots took a chance on him in the seventh. They developed him into a player who would become a Super Bowl MVP, so give all the credit to the Patriots. Well, I wouldn't give all the credit, Goose, man. I'd give... Uh... 10%? I'd say 10%. That's agent's fee. 10% should come to you. <laughs> Without him, <laughs> yeah. he wouldn't have known anything about it. He'd have been ranting and raving later and yelling at you for why you didn't tell him. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. hey, like, one the other, thing th- on- like the other 31 teams right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
One last thing on the subject, and I know we got Dr. Data coming up. One last thing. Ronnie, you and I were talking before the game, and we both said, God, Belichick is downright cordial this week. He's laughing. He's telling jokes. He's he's being cooperative. Imagine that. He's being yeah. cooperative. And I said, I can't recall the last time it was this loose. Oh, yes, I do. It was the Super Bowl 42 in Phoenix when the Patriots played the Giants. And guess what happened? We know. That's why I wasn't so sure his behavior was a good sign for his football team. Were you? Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree. I mean, it, uh, I thought it uh, it was a similar reaction, but I thought it was more this time. Uh, he knew he was playing with house money because he knows he, his team really wasn't that good, uh, and, but neither was anybody else. And you only have to be as good as the as the, as the next guy. You know, they weren't going to yeah. be, uh, be facing the 75 Steelers. And I think uh, uh, once they got to the game, and he knew he had a plan in place that he thought would undress the quarterback. And, and one of the reasons they got rid of Brandon Cooks was they didn't believe he could make the big – he would make the big catch in the big game and as yeah, it turns right. out they were right about that so i think he had a couple of uh of uh four leaf clovers in his pocket we got four leaf clovers here because we got dr data in the house yeah that's bill belichick's favorite scout Gooseman, take it away what do you got well, every Super Bowl success by the New England Patriots shows up the rest of the NFL. The Patriots won their record-tying sixth Super Bowl last weekend in Atlanta. That's one more Super Bowl than the hometown Falcons have been able to win. The fifth Lombardi Trophy was captured in 2017 in Houston. That's one more Lombardi Trophy than either the hometown Oilers or Texans have been able to win. The fourth Lombardi Trophy came in Phoenix in 2015. Yep, that's one more Super Bowl than the hometown Cardinals have managed. The third Lombardi Trophy came in Jacksonville, 2005. Again, one more Super Bowl than the hometown Jaguars have been able to win. The Patriots won their second Lombardi Trophy in Houston. It may be a while before the Texans were able to win a first Super Bowl, much less a second one. And the first Lombardi Trophy for the Patriots came in New Orleans in 2002. The Saints were able to match that feat five years later, but it may take the Saints a while to match the Patriots with a second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth Lombardi Trophy. The Patriots have yet to, have yet to win a Lombardi Trophy in Florida, which seems strange because the NFL has already staged 15 games there. But fear not, New England will have a chance the next two postseasons. The 2020 game we played in Miami, the 2021 game we played in Tampa. The Dolphins have won a pair of Super Bowls, but none in the last four decades. The Bucks also have won a Super Bowl, but the Patriots have won five since then. So either the Patriots should stop winning or everyone else should stop start winning. I'm not sure which one is more likely to happen. Thanks for that tip, Rick. And uh, we've got a tip for you. If you're in the market for Chinese, go to Sue's in Atlanta. What do you think, Ron? Absolutely. Go there and pick up a, pick up a piece of fried chicken over at Gus's on your way over. <laughs> That's right. Gooseman, you may wind up quoting us like Mr. Bill Belichick quoted you. In fact, Ron, we may go there right now. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we spoke earlier in the show to the Hall's Joe Horrigan, who's retiring this June after 42 years. And now we're going to address what happened at his last, last ever meeting. And that, of course, would be uh, last Saturday's session, where we picked eight new Hall of Famers, including five modern ear inductees. Two contributors and one senior. So, Goose, let's start with the two contributors. That would be Denver owner Pat Bolin and former Dallas exec Gil Brandt. And the one senior, of course, former Chief Safety Johnny Robinson. 
whom you presented. Really no pushback on any of these guys in the discussions, although the Gilbrand conversation lasted the longest. I think it was over 34 minutes, but mostly, as you know, it was because of tributes. Yeah, there was a five-minute presentation on Gil, three minutes three minutes of discussion, and then 26 minutes of kissing the ring. Last one I, <laughs> the last one I can remember like that was Deion Sanders. His lasted over a half hour. It should have been done in about five minutes. Everybody wanted to get up and say something great about Deion. Yeah, these, all three of these guys are slam dunks. Well, speaking of contributors, there has been talk of moving the coaches to that category, the contributor category, because that's going to change now. I think it's going to be one maybe every year or every other year. Would you like to see that happen, Ron? And I'm talking about coaches moving to the contributor category. Yeah, I would, because I would say 99% of coaches are on pretty unfair footing when they're pitted against players. And why would you pick someone who talks to the players rather than someone who actually is a player and plays the game, you know? Uh, I doubt that they'll establish a separate coaches category, which to me would be ideal. I imagine they'll fold them into the contributors. Uh, but that at least makes uh, some sense and um, uh you know, and the more this is an aside, but the more I've thought about it, because we talk about coaches a lot, uh, I'm growing opposed to the idea of assistant coaches, which I know has been kicked around. I just think that would be too cumbersome, too ephemeral, too based on what you know. So just take the head coaches, put them in either their own category or the contributors, and leave the players in a, in a separate uh, competition against each other. Yeah, I'd, I'd be against a separate coaching category. You can't compartmentalize it. You don't have four or five different groups. I, I think you have it two groups, players, non-players, players, contributors. Let the coaches, GMs, scouts, everybody, if you didn't play, you're in this group, and let the players fight it out amongst themselves. Okay, well, let's move on to the five modern era in Chinese for the class of 2019. There were three of the five. As we know, safety Ed Reed, tight end Tony Gonzalez, and cornerback Champ Bailey, who were first ballot Hall of Famers. And that continues what I believe is a disturbing trend. We've now had eight of the past 15 modern ear inductees, or over half of that group, as first ballot choices. And, and that's left a lot of deserving guys, and I mean a lot, waiting in line. You have a problem with it, Goose? Yes, sir. If, if you're a first-team all-decade guy, you should... Who? Why should you have to step aside for another first-team all-decade guy? Steve Atwater has been stepping aside now for 15 years. You know, one day he's going to be in, among the seniors, and I'm going to ask Ron, how did Atwater get here? Well, it's because the rush to enshrine all these first ballot guys. You know, Ron's presentation showed us that Ty Law was as worthy a candidate as Champ Bailey. So why did Law have to wait five years while Bailey is rushed in on the first ballot? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, we've now put in, uh, if you include this year, 40 first ballot Hall of Famers since the turn of the century, since the year 2000. That's 40 in 19 years. Excluding the original class in 1963, they put in 47 in the previous 36 years. So wow. the rate has roughly doubled. Uh, the way I do the math, I'm no mathematician, but I believe that's roughly doubling the rate in which we're putting these guys in. We are lowering the bar to the point where even I could get, uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy. It's uh, uh, And it's going to, I'm telling you, we're not going to have to deal with it. But down the road, it is going to cause a tremendous mess yep. in that senior pool. Yeah, yeah, so. you're right. Um, well, there's another trend going on, too, guys. And that's multiple players at one position. I mean, we had two cornerbacks and two safeties this year two wide receivers and two linebackers last year. That was in the modern era class. And two running backs in the modern era class the year before. Now, once upon a time, that was unusual. But it's not anymore. And 
I just wondered, Ron, are you good with that, too? I mean, especially if the two are comparable? Well, I think it depends on the players. Uh, uh, the, you know, as you guys know, uh, there's more Howell-worthy players every year that we than we have slots for, so it's always difficult. So I, uh, I don't think we have to, you know, spread it around by position, uh, frankly. Uh, but I do think we need to take into account how many years qualified guys uh, are out. You know, I think we, uh, I think it's more about respecting the queue than it is position. Yeah, me too. You, yeah. you could have two great, you know, corners running backs, whatever, uh, better than the other candidates. But if they just got in there and some uh, uh, some other guy's been waiting a while, really, I mean, just... Yeah, I, I, and, and I, I know what you're saying. I, I know what you're saying. The reason it comes up is because I'm really sensitive to this thing about the offensive linemen. They're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and right. they're waiting. People basically are saying, in effect... Who cares? Who cares about the offensive line? Let's get everybody else in. Um, but I, I mentioned, you know, we had we had two corners in, in the modern era class. That would be Ty Law and, and Champ Bailey. And Ron, you presented Ty Law as we mentioned, um, and and you did a great job. You really did. I, I thought you were in for a pitch battle. It was mono a mono, and <laughs> and you were. I mean, you're up against Champ Bailey, and and you did a great job. And Jeff Legwell did a great job with Champ Bailey, but photos bought. Both of them out. They, they brought Champ Bailey out. They brought Ty Law out. And I'll be honest with you, I was shocked. I really was. I thought it was going to be one or the other. How about you? Well, I've been, I've been on the committee almost 25 years, and that is the first time I ever saw a presentation that was directly addressed another candidate and succeeded. You know, I thought going in, there'd be three first ballot guys, you know, offensive lineman to break the log jam and a wild card. And I told Ryan last week, I thought Law had a chance to be the wild card. Ron made a compelling case that this class should. Did you say directly address another candidate or directly undress another? <laughs> <laughs> There's a little of both there. A little uh, of both. That was a great uh, presentation, Ron. A great presentation, really was. Thanks, thanks, guys, and I appreciate it. And because uh, you've all been through it, and you know what it's like. But my strategy this year, and I, you know, uh, Goose and I talk about this stuff a lot, uh, approaches to take and, and things of that nature. And and he's right. Uh, you know, I haven't seen a takedown if you want to call it that, uh, succeed. But my theory was this. Uh, my strategy was uh, once I did the research and realized th- it was as I believed it was, which was Ty was slightly better than Champ Bailey in every quantifiable measure of a cornerback, except for Prom King. Um, so what I decided was I was going to try to make it as difficult on the other voters to bring Champ Bailey out without bringing Ty Law with him. And, and that's what I was trying to do. When you list that a guy exceeded the other guy in every quantifiable metric, not just the on-the-surface ones, the interceptions by one or two, because you can always get around that. But, you know, uh, yeah. as you guys know, you know, QB uh, passer ratings when targeted and things of that nature, you know. And uh, and I thought it was very important to point out to guys that uh, the tie had only paid two more playoff games than uh, – uh, mm-hmm. Than Champ Bailey, yet he had six picks to one, you know, and I, and I think that that's what I if I succeeded at anything, I think that's what I succeeded at doing. If you're hell bent on bringing this guy out as a first ballot Hall of Famer, like you can't shave in the morning if you didn't do it, you can't look at yourself and face your wife and children, well then, guy, dang it, you're going to have to bring the other guy out too because he's better. And and I think uh, that was what they were faced 
with dealing with Well, you succeeded. You succeeded. And, and, and Goose, you, you got to love this class because I know you're a defensive guy, and, and you've got four of the six former players, including Johnny Robinson, whom you presented. They're from the defensive side of the ball. you got to love that. Yeah, without question. A- anytime there are more defensive players than offensive players, I love the class. <laughs> like I said earlier, there's still a 60-40 split that favors offensive players, so we must continue to close that gap. And you saw the Super Bowl last weekend. Defense still wins championships. You cannot yeah, continue right. to push great defensive players aside to enshrine offensive candidates with stats. This class was a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, no, I agree, and all of that's great, except, as I mentioned earlier, except we still have three offensive linemen waiting at the gates, and I feel for them. I mean, we finally got one in. That's center Kevin Mawai, but Tony Paselli, Steve Hutchison, and Alan Fanica were top ten finalists again. And and maybe, I don't know, maybe, just maybe that long jab is broken in 2020, but, Ron, I mean, I feel for these guys. Each year we're told, hey, wait till next year, ah, wait till next year. Tony Paselli's running out of time. Yeah, no, I, and I and I know what you're saying. I, you know, I, I felt for everybody who pretty much who didn't. I mean, Isaac Bruce is like, see you later, pal. Uh, yeah, you know, I right. mean, so this, the, we all know the qualifications of these guys. My guess is it's going to be one a year for the next two years, and and uh, then they're going to run out of chairs, and one of these guys isn't going to get in. That that's what I think it's going to be because I I would be uh, quite surprised uh, if next year or any year we put in. Uh, two offensive linemen, it could happen, uh, but it's hard enough to get one in, as we as we're proving with this group of guys. Um, I think we got the right guy in this time. Uh, we'll get one of those guys next time. Then I think a third one, and and then you know then you're looking at Joe Thomas, and, and then I think uh, whoever's waiting is going to have a problem. You know, I I hear you on the offensive line, but there is still a log jam at safety. Atwater is still out there. So is John Lynch, Leroy Butler who, like Atwater, was a first-team all-decade safety. He can't even get in the room. You know, I think he's got a shot of getting in the room for 2020. I'd love to see Darren Woodson discussed. And Troy Palomalo is next year's class. So the offensive line isn't the only mess on our hands going forward. Well, no, you're, Goose well, is right, you know, and, and, and just to interject this, this is the problem that develops uh, down the road if they, if they continue to not create a reasonable cue effect. Because you get to get stockpiles of guys yep. at yep. this position or that position, and then you're dead. You can't, you can't get them all in because you keep got new guys coming in every year in addition to those guys that you've got, and you're running in two or three guys who have 24 years of eligibility left, and you you feel that you have to put them in. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's really gotten kind of stupid, frankly. Not one of my well, favorite Goose, words. quickly on that subject, on, on safeties, because we've got about 30 seconds left, but John Lynch, again, I know I ask you guys about him every week, but he did move into the top ten for the second straight year, but safety Steve Atwater, who's in the room for only the second time, did. With Palomalo coming up next year, I mean, I think Lynch is Candace in trouble. How do you wake people up to him, Goose? I don't know. I, I look at Johnny Robinson, left the room after six years, Coach Big after eight. I think uh, John Lynch is going to be sitting with us in the senior committee. Okay. Well, thanks so much, guys. And, again, congratulations for terrific presentations last week. And really good. Up next, we're going to go to the hall, but it's the college football hall for newcomer Cornelius Bennett. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Our next guest, Cornelius Bennett, was a five-time Pro Bowl linebacker for the Buffalo Bills and a two-time AFC Defensive Player of the Year, which was no small feat when you're playing on a defense that also included Bruce Smith. 
Smith was a first ballot Hall of Famer, but Cornelius is still waiting for his first turn in the room as a finalist. An all-decade linebacker from the 1990s, Cornelius is now in his 14th year of eligibility, but has never once been a semifinalist for the Hall, much less a finalist. We think his candidacy deserves better, and we've asked him to join us today to talk about his career and his accomplishments. Cornelius Bennett, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Okay, we asked this of a lot of our guests, so we're going to ask you. Do you understand the Hall of Fame selection process and how it works? I guess kind of sort of. Uh, you know, I don't really pay much attention to it. You know, I, I know one thing is it's kind of out of my hands. You know, it's up to the voters. And um, I know there are some guys that, that have people, you know, kind of speaking for them, I guess, in a sense. But right. that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of old school. I, I, I was always one that let my plan do um, the talking for me. And um, I kind of still feel the same way about that now. <laughs> Do you think about the hall? Do you think okay. about the hall? Do I? Sometimes, but I don't let it consume me. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't let it consume me. Um, you know, it's. Um, I think, you know, whenever it happens, it'll be the right time. So that's that's kind of the road I take. If, if you won one, do you think you'd be enshrined right now? And then two, two, you might be a first ballot Hall of Famer. No, no doubt about that. And, and not only me, but um, you know, you have to think of Ken Hole and Casper and Tally, uh, Fred Smurlis, uh, Even though um, you know he um, wasn't there, but um, you know, just to being, but you know, every year around Super Bowl is when you know the Hall of Fame. Um, it's announced, and, and just knowing that had we won one, um, there'd be a couple more guys. And I've, I've asked um, people in the past, you know, you know what I got to do. And, 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 again, you know, I can't go back and play. You know, everything I did, I, I, I did it for my team and my teammates and um, the city. And so, I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty much it, man. I... Honestly, I don't know what else to do. You know, it's just um, it's it's. Um, I know it's a process, and um, there are great players coming out every year that's finishing up their careers at Hall of Fame word. And I just when I when I start comparing and looking, and it's just like wow, you know, you know, what am I missing on this thing? You know, it's just um, it's crazy, but it is what it is. And um, again, you know, I I don't let it consume me, but. You know, what a great honor it would be uh, to cap off um, the career that I had. Do you, do you sense that the Bills have been slighted then? Is that the feeling up in Buffalo? Uh, no doubt. Uh, no doubt. You know, um, you know, even with all the greatness of, of New England over the, you know, almost two decades, um, what we did, they still, you know, they still... You know, they, this is their third Super Bowl in a row, but, you know, four in a row. Um, it's just um, it's something that, you know, I don't – I still say it's not going to be accomplished again, even as great as Super, uh, uh, Super Bowl teams that New England's put together. Um, you know, our, our feet is still there. And, um, you know, if we had won, won, but we didn't. And, and so I don't 
you know, again, I don't, I don't waste time thinking about that because you can't go back and change it. It is what it is, and we were great. We just couldn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah, right. When you think, uh, you know, of those four Super Bowl games, uh, which one do you remember best, and why? Is it the first one, the last one? I mean, is there one that that really lingers in your mind when you this time of year? No, not really. I, you know. Of course, I had a chance to play in the fifth one with the Falcons, so I think about all five of them because I didn't win one, and <laughs> and um, I always think about my play. You know, what could I have uh, could I have done differently to help my team win? And uh, you know, because that's the only thing that I could have controlled back then was my play. And um, there's some things, you know, uh, you know, uh, I can remember the first Super Bowl I batted three or four passes, and what if I could have caught one of them and returned for a touchdown and not put the owners on, on, on you know, relying on uh, trying to, you know, win the game with a field goal. Uh, so, it's, you know, those kind of things stick out. You know, what what if what if I had done more? And um, and all five of them, man, it's just crazy, you know, how because that's all you can do now is go back in your mind and replay um, those games in your mind, you know, you see this time of the year they start replaying some of the games, and and every now and again I'll watch and and I'll be like, man, I could have did this, I could have did that kind of thing or whatever. But in reality, man, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. It was such a tremendous experience, and and when I'm around former players now, man, and we get to talking about Super Bowls or whatever, that, that, and, and and they all come to the same conclusion. Man, you know, you were so blessed. You know, I played X amount of years and didn't get a chance to make it to the playoffs. You know, I know guys that played 10, 12, 14, 15 years in the league, um, you know, and didn't get a chance to, uh, to even sniff it. So, you know, one guy in particular who I love to death is the Keo Spikes. Uh, I mean, 15-year career in and you know, and never make the playoffs kind of thing. So I mean, it's it's a tremendous honor and it's something I'm very proud of, and I hold my head very high. Cornelius, if you could pick one play or one game and tell the the voters, judge my career off this, which play or which game would it be? I wouldn't just say a game. You go back to uh, our second Super Bowl in Minnesota. Uh, Bruce Smith was banged up pretty much the whole year, and and I was forced to play five different positions that season. And that's the second time I made, you know, uh, uh, defensive player of the year in the, in the conference. And uh, the things I did that year, um, I led the team in tackles, sacks, probably, you know, out on the very high pass defending, you know, uh, Farmer recovers, force farmers. I mean, you go back and look at those stats from <clears throat> from that year. Uh, it was amazing, you know, as far as the team is concerned. Now, uh, you know, league-wide, I don't know how that stands up, but um, I just, um, you know, my uh, Bill Polian um, always referred to me as Superman, and if that was ever time that I felt like Superman was that season, uh, I, I did everything that was asked of me. Never once complained in my whole career. First of all, there's no coach that can tell you that I was uh, arrogant to the point to where um, you know I was uncoachable. I was very much you know a team guy and, and did everything that the coaches asked me to do for the team. And that second Super Bowl, um, that that season was 
something that I now I really think about that year a lot because I mean you know the different things that I did in that season. So there was one game, you know that you know Super Bowl that year because I don't think, and I've never said this, I don't think that we would probably have gotten as far as we did that year um, had I been selfish and not willing to sacrifice, you know, the, the big steps, you know, that to me that seems like that's how guys get in the, in the Hall of Fame, you know, the 100 sacks and all that stuff. That was something that was never my concern, um, even though I did leave the team in sacks that year, but that was that was never how my things to do. My, 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 everything that I did was, you know, for the team when the coaches asked me, Biscuit, you know, we need you in the middle to stop the run or we need you on this side of the ball to do this or whatever. I did it and never complained about it and never worried about um, having double-digit sacks or anything like that. I just wanted to go out and, and at the end of the day, if we won, I had I felt like I had the greatest game of my life. Now, you were a second overall pick, of course, in 87. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't come to contract terms with the Colts and, and the uh, – uh, you sat out part of that season, and then they traded you, of course, to Buffalo on Halloween, I think it was, uh, in a yeah. blockbuster, you know, 10-player, three-team deal, Eric Dickerson. Uh, so when did you learn uh, the business end of football? Was it uh, during the holdout, or was it when you got that call that day Was that you'd been traded? No, I, 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 I had a great coach in college, Ray Perkins, um, and he groomed me from, from my freshman year. Uh, when he when he realized that I had the potential to to make it to the next level, we would often meet and discuss the business of football. Um, it's like my junior year, um, you know, the USFL was around, and and uh, I had contemplated, you know, trying trying my, you know, because I was, you know, I had done everything in college and made All American for the second time, and. And was considered one of the best players in the country then, and and would have you know had I challenged um, trying to go into the USFL, I, I think I would have been you know a top five pick you know back then, even my junior year. Um, I, mm-hmm. I felt I was ready for the next level, and of course I had to stick around and play my senior year, which was great and and um, eventually ended up being the second player pick so the business part of it was always there for me um through the graces uh graces of, of coach perkins grooming me so i understood it and, and and the way i went about the business of football uh during the draft you know um i kind of prepared myself if things didn't work out that that um a la kind of how what Bo Jackson did, even though I didn't have baseball to fall back on up. The business part of it was, you know, uh, making sure, you know, keeping my name clean and and, and financially, you know, using my name to to find a bank somewhere that, that would um, grant me a line of credit to where I could sustain myself, you know, financially. And um, if I had to hold out the whole season, you know, wouldn't put a rush on me to sign because I was in, you know, financial runs, anything like that. So it, so that part of it was real easy for me to sit out like that because I mean I had made, you know, made a way for myself um, financially to sustain me until the next April, if need be. 
Hey, Colonel, this, really, thanks for stopping by, and best of luck mm-hmm. to you going forward with your Hall of Fame uh, candidacy. You know, a player with your credentials certainly deserves to be discussed, and we hope that sometime very soon you get in the room to be uh, discussed as a finalist. I, I appreciate you guys, man, and, and um, you know, whatever I can do, you, you, you have my phone number, you call me, and we can discuss it, and... And I appreciate you guys for taking the time to to talk to me. You know, there's a lot of other guys like myself that that are deserving and 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 don't get this chance to share their feelings or uh, or uh, desire or whatever. Because you know, again, we can't go back out and play, and all we have is you guys that 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 vote. Um, and I know it's been a while since I played, but you know, you said 14 years I've been eligible, and it's just um, it's amazing. Uh, to even be thought of still that's that's the most unique part of it um every year when when the hall stuff comes around and my name is there every year um and and in a sense that's gratifying enough but i know that i deserve to be in the hall of fame and, and hopefully one day it'll come you know it'll, it'll come to fruition again we appreciate it Chris. Thanks, thank you guys so much thank all you. right you're listening to talk of fame network this is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're almost out of time, and we're going to need a Hail Mary, so... That's the two-minute warning. Throw in, Rick. This is a two-minute drill. We've got to get going. Tony Gonzalez became the first tight end ever elected to the Hall on the first ballot. Does that make him the greatest tight end in history? No, it makes him the greatest wide receiver disguised as a tight end in history. I was, I would agree. No, it makes voters confused about what a first ballot Hall of Famer really is. With Ty Law and Champ Bailey now in Canton, who is the best cornerback still on the outside? Charles Woodson. I disagree. How about eligible guys? Everson Walls and Ken Riley, who are fittingly tied with 65 career interceptions and no busts. Thank you for the history lesson. With Johnny Robinson and Ed Reed now in Canton, who is the best safety eligible still on the outside? Steve Atwater. Bobby Dillon, four all-pro seasons and nine years with the Packers, and so good Lombardi begged him to come out of retirement. Just the times they are a <laughs> Kevin Nawai broke the log jam on the offensive line with his election to the Hall. Who's the next blocker to get a bust? That would be Dan Blocker, a.k.a. Oscar Wright. Love me some Oscar Wright. Steve Hutchinson. Well, this there are two block. senior candidates for the class of 2020. Which two would you pick? Uh, Clark Judge and Ron Borges. <laughs> Very senior. Duke Slater and Cecil Isabel. There's one contributor candidate for the class 2020. Who would you pick? George Young. This is a slam duck. Buck O'Kilroy and nobody else. Tom Flores, Brian Flores, or Brian Bosworth? Kate Bosworth. <laughs> Life of Brian. If you remember, they said... Think of what blessed are the cheesemakers. What's so special about cheesemakers? Oh, it's blessed are the meek? I'm glad they're getting something. They had a hell of a time. <laughs> um, where is Ryan Tannehill playing quarterback in 2019? Puppy Bowl 16. If, Bl- if Brian Flores is likely, someplace other than Miami. That's the enemy. 
We'd like it, to thank Ty Law, Joe Horgan, and Cornelius Bennett for joining us, Robert Harris Jr. for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, find us next week at this time and on this station. We'll be here. Unfortunately, Tom Brady won't join us anyway.